0: you to turn in your Bible to the book of Ruth. I wanted to preach on one of the world's most famous and favorite love stories, the story of Ruth and Boaz, and try to glean from it lessons of motherhood and fatherhood. As those who are familiar with the story realize, Ruth and Naomi, in many ways, speak to every woman. These two women, by their experiences of marriage, Bereavement, joy, and sorrow, loss, and redemption have a universal voice to the experience of women, married, unmarried, ch- with children, or without. And like many stories of women in the scriptures, this story rings something true and authentic about the longing of the human heart, about the disappointments we may suffer and how hope is renewed when one's faith is found in God, our Redeemer, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read chapter 1 of Ruth and stop there as we begin our message. But I will refer to chapters 2, 3, and 4 periodically throughout the message tonight as we carry this story along to its conclu- conclusion. Please follow as I read Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you should find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. "'because the Lord's hand has gone out against me.' "'At this they wept again. "'Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, "'but Ruth clung to her. "'Look,' said Naomi, "'your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. "'Go back with her.' "'But Ruth replied, "'Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. "'Where you go, I will go, "'and where you stay, I will stay. "'Your people will be my people.' And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, where there, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest Was beginning. Thus reads, the word of our living God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are touched by the power and the authenticity, the sensitivity of this story that reveals the brokenness and the heartache of people longing for strength and peace. Lord, you take your people through various trials. We pray that we might draw comfort. Wisdom and insight as we explore this passage this evening. Fill us, we pray, with your wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just over a year ago, I took my children to see mommy and the newborn baby at the hospital. And uh, there really was no uh, question in my mind which of our children would be the first to hold the baby And the last to let go of him, I remember talking with my parents on the phone and telling them how our daughter Marie was thoroughly enjoying her new baby. Even today, our 15-month-old Justice will lay his head on his big sister as kind of a surrogate mother when mommy is not available, busy with the others. Various women in our church will hold our youngest children in what we call getting their baby fix. And not infrequently, little girls will ask to babysit our children, especially the little ones. We've never received such an offer from a boy. Boys dream about hitting home runs, saving the day, rescuing others from distress. Little girls, however, oftentimes dream and practice providing care for dolls, animals, anything that whines or cries. God has placed this desire upon women to bear children, to nurture and raise up others, and this is a beautiful thing. It's a part of God's creation to multiply upon the earth his image bearers. It's also a part of his redemption as indicated by the obscure passage that Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2:15 where women will be saved by childbearing this text seems to indicate that the gift of bringing forth godly offspring helps God's people combat the work of the devil as this story indicates though many women will suffer a grave disappointment as their God-given design suffers frustration in a fallen world. Many Christian women will remain single for long periods of time, perhaps permanently, oftentimes due to a lack of suitable men. Other women who do find joy in marriage will suffer frustration with an inability to bear natural children of their own. One in seven Couples, I believe, struggle with infertility. My wife's brother and his wife have one child for which they're grateful, but we're sadly not able to have any more. And yet, still, women who are given much fruitfulness of the womb will still may encounter much discouragement as their children suffer grave circumstances or children who make poor choices and other such afflictions in this cursed world. Yes, women will suffer many disappointments with the men in their lives, their children, with themselves, with God. And yet the hope and beauty of women is restored through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to the first of four acts in this famous love story. Like Abraham, Elimelech, the patriarch of this household, leads his family out of the promised land, driven by a famine-induced economic hardship, the subtle among Israelites' distant cousins, the descendants of Lot, who, while not Canaanites, were worshipers of other gods. Now, the text does not directly indicate this. It only perhaps hints that the calamity suffered by this family are part of God's judgment. But nevertheless, Naomi is left widowed. Her sons marry Moabite wives. And then, like Judah, this family will suffer bereavement and desolation as both of these men expire in the prime of life leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law as defenseless widows. Now, whether out of genuine concern for these young women, or perhaps a veiled attempt to relieve herself of the burden of bringing back foreign women to Bethlehem, Naomi urges her daughters-in-law to return home to their own people. She argues that their prospects for finding new husbands will be much greater, much more promising amongst their kin. She reasons that she has nothing more to offer them. She is beyond the age of marriage of bearing more children. She even warns them that she is perhaps under curse when she says, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Orpah accepts this worldly wisdom. Ruth, however, rejects it, having eyes that see beyond this veil of tears. She realizes the emptiness of her people's gods, their horrific practices of sacrificing their children to the vicious Molech. Ruth can see the divine spark. Of the great and awesome Yahweh, which has not been snuffed out, lurking amongst the shadows behind the eyes of Naomi. And so, foolish in the eyes of the world, but pleasant in the sight of God, Ruth clings to this spiritual mother. And like Abraham, she follows to a land unknown to her, entrusting her fortune in the hands of Almighty. The women's arrival in Bethlehem, after a decade apart, is received with a gasp from the women of their town. Naomi refuses to receive comfort from familiar faces. She asks them to call her Mara, which means bitter. She had left them full and had returned empty. She lays her misfortune at the feet of Yahweh, their sovereign creator, She does not give this problem and trial to chance. She does not blame circumstances. Like Job, she concludes that this is God's will and not a matter of fate. Many women feel that God is against them. The widow of Zarephath betrays her heart to Elijah, the one who had saved her and her son from starvation, only to suffer a grave tragedy with her son's untimely death. When she says to the prophet, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? In the ancient world, it was not uncommon for cultures to blame women for the curse of sin. But Elijah's miracle of raising this little boy back to life anticipates the life and the work of the greater prophet, the Lord Jesus, who happens upon a funeral procession outside the city of Nain, and there it does a great wonder, raising the only son of a widowed woman back to life, offering to us a foretaste of God's redemption, delivering his people from the curse of sin. My wife and I have had the privilege of getting to know a new family here in recent months. A couple who have struggled with problems of infertility, but in recent times have been blessed with the joys of adoption. I want to share with you a portion of the wife's blog, which catalog a portion of her journey. She writes, Infertility used to be that which God was using to withhold his blessings and goodness from me. Infertility meant that I had to endure another baby shower and hold someone's newborn baby, knowing that God had not chosen to give a baby to us. There were times when I had to hear yet another pregnant woman complain about how uncomfortable she was when I would have given anything for that discomfort. Infertility meant that I would sit in silence with other women well, they talked about their children. Every once in a while, someone would notice my silence and try to change the subject. I didn't want to change the subject. I just wanted to be able to join in. Infertility made me wonder if God knew something about me that I didn't know. I wondered if I would be a bad mother and God was protecting children from me. Infertility made me doubt the good work that God was doing in my life. Infertility was my enemy. However, infertility made me look deep inside to see if I really cared about God's dreams for my life or if I only wanted my own. Infertility taught me that it, what it really means to surrender to God's will and plans and to walk forward trusting my Savior. Infertility showed me that God's ways are so much higher, so much deeper, so much better than my own. Infertility is my friend. The road that I did not want to travel has led me to my greatest joys. The testimony of hardship, of sorrow, and yet renewed joy in the Lord who works through hardship and disappointment and loss to bring forth great fruit of his mighty work in our lives. All too often the pain of life can tempt us to bitterness, like Naomi, like Job's wife who urged him to curse God and die. Christians can put on the glad face to hide their sorrow, keep secret their suffering, hide their guilty feelings, longing for relief and deliverance. Remember a few years ago, counseling a young woman not to feel guilty for her strong desire to be married. This was a good and God-given desire, as is the desire of a woman to bear children. Of course, an obsession with any of these objects can cloud one's judgment, blinding them to see God's work in their life. Whether God provides a husband, a child, his grace is sufficient for you. It's God himself who provides us comfort. And he gives us the body of Christ who has the privilege to offer comfort. With the same comfort we have received from he who is the holy comforter. Friends, this is our calling, and our privilege as the family of God to hold up one another, to point us and point one another to the great Redeemer, and to apply the healing balm of His precious promises to ourselves and to the wounds of others as well. In Act number two, chapter two of our text. We see that Ruth, this diamond in the rough, begins to shine with even greater clarity. We've already seen her demonstrate perseverance, faithfulness, loyalty. And now we see her servant's heart as she labors diligently to meet the needs for herself and her mother-in-law. Ruth goes into the fields to glean, doing the work of servants, capitalizing on the welfare that God had provided for the poor in Israel and with a kind of humorous shorthand for God's providence. In verse 3, it says, As it turned out, Ruth found herself in the fields of Boaz. The noble man notices this young woman, inquires about her. He approaches her and exhorts her to stay in his fields for safety's sake. And then her reply in chapter 2, verse 10 and following, reveals the commendable character of this woman. At this, she she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, "'Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner?' Boaz replied, "'I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband.'" How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort, and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Ruth shows not a trace of entitlement mentality. Like the patriarch Joseph, she is not whining away in self-misery, obsessing over her losses. She gets to work with what her hands find to do with a proper and humble attitude. She has all the marks of what men find attractive in a wife, a gentle rather than a demanding spirit. She has strength to overcome adversity and does not consume herself with the past. Boaz sees these excellent qualities in Ruth and pronounces this blessing upon her that she may be richly rewarded by the Lord under whose wings she has come to take refuge. Proverbs 31:10 offers a wife of noble character who can find she is far more worth she is worth far more than rubies. Boaz is about to receive a crown jewel. Act chapter 3. Well it doesn't take long for a mother's yearning a yearning to marry off one of his or her daughters in the hopes that, they, that she might marry and have children of her own. And knowing something about the ways of men, Naomi wastes little time conjuring up a plot where she might lure Boaz to take responsibility as his role as kinsman redeemer and to provide a home for the widowed Ruth. She, gives, she conjures up a bold plan and instructs Ruth to wash, to make herself attractive, and to enter into the sleeping chambers of Boaz alone at night. It was difficult in those days for men and women to have any type of private conversation. And so this deed had to be done under the cover of darkness. Ruth obeyed her mother-in-law and executed the plan perfectly. Boaz awakens in the middle of the night, finds a woman at his feet, and he asks, "'Who are you?' "'I am your servant, Ruth,' she said. "'Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer.' "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' he replied. "'This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. "'You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. "'And now, my daughter, don't be afraid.' I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning. Naomi and Ruth are bold to fulfill Ruth's God-given role, to provide a little nudge for men who may neglect taking initiative. Sadly, I hear reports of young girls, young women, being overly aggressive in very worldly ways, seeking the attention of men in their quest to have a boyfriend. That's not what is happening here with Ruth. Hers is a godly initiative, taking the prerogative of a woman, trusting that the man will be of good character and pursue her in due course. I'd like to commend my wife, whose initiative in our relationship sealed the deal for us, and perhaps without her initiative, I, from a human point of view, would conclude that we would have never come together as we did. We had met on a summer beach mission project with Campus Crusade for Christ, her coming from Wisconsin, I was from Texas. And though I was attracted to to this lovely young woman, I did not consider initiating a relationship, did not want just another flash-in-the-pan relationship that would wear off as soon as we departed. Separated by many miles. And so this 10-week project came to an end. We departed our separate ways. Yet Stacy was undeterred. By 1,300 miles separation, she wrote me a letter. Thanking me for my leadership on the project. And making clear to me that she was available. If I should choose to pursue her. Well, as you might imagine, I was a bit blown over by such a letter coming from a beautiful girl who loved the Lord and whom I could see great potential. I took the bait, made my contact, and we dated and were engaged to be married a little over a year afterwards. And here we are, six children later, to the glory of God. Hear, hear to the boldness of women. You know, of course, that Ruth's boldness with Boaz did not come without risk. She risked rejection, which would have deeply harmed her reputation, the prospect of future marriage partners. Had they been caught in the middle of the night, she could have brought shame upon Boaz, a man of great reputation. And yet the instincts... Of motherhood prevail, which we find richly rewarded in Act 4. Well, as Naomi predicted, Boaz would not rest until he had settled this matter. The very next day, he approaches the kinsman redeemer, who is nearer of kin than he, and offers him makes the offer to him to redeem Naomi's land of her deceased husband, And makes clear that his obligation would be to fulfill the duties of leveret marriage, which was a practice in the ancient world, whereby a widow who did not have any sons to carry on the name of the dead husband would be given to that man's brother or close of kin, whereby he might raise up offspring in his dead kin's place, so the name would not expire from Israel." But this nearer-of-kin man, realizing that his own estate would be compromised by taking on this responsibility, and perhaps seeing the eagerness in Boaz to fulfill this duty, declines. And Boaz gladly seizes the opportunity to redeem the land of Elimelech and to take the widowed Ruth to be his new bride. The witnesses, the gentlemen at the gate, observing the redemptive act of Boaz, offer their own applause of praise. They express a blessing, asking God for a fruitful union. They can liken Ruth, may she be like Rachel and Leah, who built up the house of Israel. May their family be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Not to be outdone, the women also offer a refrain of rejoicing. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter in law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi, has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This story has a happy ending. Like Sarah, whose laughter of unbelief turned into laughter of joy with the birth of Isaac. Like Hannah, whose prayerful struggle with the Lord rewarded her with a mighty man of prayer, the judge Samuel. But as we know too well, not every story has a happy ending of a woman receiving the desires of her heart. Children may come, they may not. Children may go on to maturity, others do not. The joys and the sorrows of a mother reflect the heart of God, and yet God yearns for children with depths unknown to most sensitive of human mothers. In this story, we see the beauty and the wisdom of God, who through this remarkable union brings forth not only the royal line of David, but the royal line of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, with mother-like compassion, upon his lost children, seeing us in our dire condition, is compelled to bring forth his Son into this world, sending him on a death mission. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, and he alone meets the needs of all of women, that which men cannot fulfill, that which children cannot provide. Christ alone is the consolation for every broken-hearted mother, for every would-be mother longing to fulfill her God-given design. And it's God, our gracious Redeemer, who has the audacity to say these words through the prophet Isaiah, In chapter 54, Sing, O barren woman! You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy! You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood, for your Maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who marries young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion. On you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The gift of marriage teaches us much about the passion and holy jealousy between God and His people. Parenthood teaches us something about God's compassion on His children. And yet, singleness reminds us not to make too much of marriage for the Lord is our husband. And all of our losses and sorrows remind us that our ultimate hopes are not in children nor in a happy marriage but in the Lord himself who satisfies the yearnings of our hearts. Mother's Day is a day of celebration to celebrate the great God who created The mothering spirit. We celebrate the gift of mothers, their love and their sacrifice and devotion to us. It's a day to offer comfort to those saddened, pointing them to the one who wipes away every tear. It's a day to be reminded of our obligation and our calling to exercise a maternal ministry to widows and orphans, to help mothers in their task of raising children. Single mothers and the burden that they carry. A reminder of older women to teach younger women how to love their husbands and their children well. We also remember this day. The bold promise given to the first mother. That through her offspring, the seed would rise up. A mighty conqueror who would crush the serpent's head. This boldness is carried on through the lives of Naomi, Ruth, Tamar, and Rahab, and other women of the Old Testament who remind us of the call to motherhood and remind us the church who serves as a mother, it's reminded that every redeemed soul birthed by a mother is brought to rebirth by the Holy Spirit. You and I are spiritual midwives, called to participate with the Holy Spirit to bring forth new birth and new life to the glory of God. For the Spirit is calling many sons and daughters home to the Father. We anticipate a heaven that will be filled with the children of God. May we long for it, may we seek it, And may we wait patiently and gloriously as we await the return of our true husband. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Father, it is remarkable the gifts you give to your people, the power of your word, the truth of Scripture to remind us that you are all sufficient, that you are all that we ever need. I pray for your consolation, And every person in this room tonight, may we find all of our hopes and joys fulfilled in Christ, eating as as you call us to care for our families, our loved ones, help us to honor our mothers, pointing them to the great Redeemer. We magnify and glorify the name of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.